0: All right, so I want to welcome everybody that is watching on video and all of us here at this campus. I want to welcome all the other campuses. Come on, everybody, let's welcome them. let's clap. We love that you're here watching. Oh, uh, we, we are in a series called Works Don't Work, and we are going to review for just a second. And some of you saw the pulpit was out, so you know I must have a lot of notes, so get comfortable, all right? But uh, Works Don't Work, I want to review real quick. We're looking at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and this is what the Bible says. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And so last week we looked at grace, and that it's not by works, and that it's, it's, we don't get to brag about what we did, and that made us feel uh, really good about heaven, that we won't be going around bragging, but we'll be praising instead. So there's no bragging, all praising. It's kind of like a radio station, no bragging, all praising in heaven. How many know what I'm talking about? We're not going to walk around... Said, I got my way in. We're to say, God got me in, and it was by grace. Now, for those of you that missed it or don't know what the g- word grace means, it means this. It means God's unmerited favor. It means that he gave us something we didn't deserve. And it's very clear that we realize how bad we are and that God gives us grace. He gives us something we don't deserve, And we talked about the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is when he doesn't give us what we deserve, and grace is when he gives us what we don't deserve. And so it's a great thing that we get a blessing, and we get uh, God's favor, and we get God's goodness on our life, and we didn't deserve it. It was all because of grace. And I want to let you know that last weekend, between our four campuses, 130 people made a decision for Christ. Is that not amazing? That's awesome. So we uh, are are looking at, for by grace you're saved through faith. And I want to talk about grace. I want to talk about the word saved. I want to talk about faith next week. But I want to talk, before I get into saved, I just want to give a little bit more on grace. I felt like there was just a little bit more. We could have done a a three-part series, a four-part series, just on grace, okay? And I want to just talk on grace. Why is it grace that was needed for us to be saved? Why was it needed that we would have grace given to us from God um, instead of works or instead of something else? Why did we really need grace? Now, I'm going to jump into the deep end on this. All right, so track with me. God is perfect. God is perfect, and in his presence, he can't handle sin or imperfection. In addition to God being perfect, the Bible tells us that God is love. Okay, so his very essence is love. He is love. He's perfect love. Okay, so when you sin, I want you to track with me on this. When you sin, you don't just sin against law, or you don't just sin against the laws that are there. You sin against love. Now this is very important to understand why we need grace because when we break a law how many know that you can break a law and pay the price for breaking the law we all can if you kill someone you will go to jail and you will pay the price that the law demands 15 years maybe 30 years maybe we don't know how long they'll give you and just don't kill anybody. But if you, if you did, you could go and you could pay the price. And at the end of your prison term, the law would say, you've done enough. You've paid the price for breaking the law. You killed someone, but you paid the price. You broke the law. But how many know for the family of the victim, it doesn't matter if you served your time? Because you ripped their heart out. You took away someone that they loved, and it doesn't matter that you get out and you say, I paid the price for the law, because what you did is you sinned against their heart, and it's different. Okay, so track with me. When you sin against God, you say, well, God, if I could work my way out of it, if I could just pay the price for breaking the law, he's like, you don't understand, the law just showed you how bad you are. You really sinned against my heart. You broke my heart. And the only way that we can be reconciled is I've got to give you grace. If I don't give you grace, there's nothing you can do to mend a broken heart. Now, pay attention because this might even be good marriage advice for some people here. I've had people in my office, a couple, where they're there and the husband has sinned against the wife. He's broken the vow. He's broken the law of what they agreed to before God. And they broke that. And he was in my office, and he was there with his wife. And he said, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I broke the vow. I'm so sorry. And I won't go into all the sins, but you can just imagine. And he was like, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he said, will you forgive me? What could I do? What could I do to show that I'm sorry? What can I do? I mean, I I broke the rules. I broke the vow. And she just looked at him. Cold. Just cold. She said, nothing. And he said, but honey, I would do anything. I would buy you flowers every day. I would do anything. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. I will put it in the sky that I'm sorry that I'm a jerk, that I'm a loser. I would do anything for you. And she said, you can do nothing. I got nothing for you. Now he didn't deserve grace, but in that moment as a pastor, I'm realizing like, you didn't just break a vow. You broke her heart. You crushed her heart. And in this moment, if she doesn't get you grace, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. She's got to give you grace, and you don't deserve it. You don't even deserve it. You don't deserve mercy. You really don't. Be thankful you're not related to me because my mom would kill you. But anyways, you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve anything. But if she doesn't give you grace, this relationship is going nowhere because you broke her heart. Does that help us understand why we need grace? We break God's heart when we sin. We don't just break the Ten Commandments. We just don't break the rules. We break his heart, and we rip his heart, and he's like, oh, and the only thing that can reconcile this relationship is he loves us so much. He's willing to give us grace, things we don't deserve, and that ought to make us, when we hear the song Amazing Grace, weep. It ought to make us want to stand to our feet and worship. It ought to make us just get overwhelmed when we hear the word grace, when we see the word grace in the Bible, when we read, for by grace you've been saved we ought to get excited about that. We ought to be so thankful because without grace, we were going nowhere because we broke his heart. And how many know you can't force somebody to love you? You cannot force someone to love you. But if they give you grace in that situation, you can reconcile. And that's what God gave us. So it's an amazing, amazing thing that God gives us. And the reason that he gives us grace is because he loves us. He doesn't want to sue you, he wants to love you. If he was a lawyer, he'd want to sue you, and if it was all about the law, but he wants to love you, and he says, I love you, and I want to give you grace, because I want to be in a love relationship with you. That is an amazing, amazing, we just stop right now. We can just stop church right now, meditate on that for the next week. But I still have more, so let's go, all right? (laughs) So by grace, you have been saved. And I want to look at the word saved today. We use that term, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? And so we got to figure out what do we mean by this word saved? For by grace, and we just got a great thought on grace. For by grace, you are saved. So what does this word saved mean? It's a Greek word. It means sozo. And the word conveys a, a meaning of rescuing someone that was in great peril. They were in great danger and someone came along and rescued them. Now you say, what does it mean? For by grace you are saved. What kind of peril was I in? The Bible says the peril that you were in was you were headed to hell. Now again, I know a lot of churches don't talk about hell. And that's why they don't talk about salvation. But we believe that hell is real. And we believe that those that don't know Jesus Christ are heading to hell. A place that he doesn't want them to go. But they are on their way in great peril, great danger, heading to hell. And the Bible says, "Because of the grace of God, because He loves you so much, because he's going to reconcile he's going to do this with you, He wants to give you this something you don't deserve. He's going to save you from hell. The Bible says that we're being saved from being trapped by the devil, and some of you were in bondage to terrible things in your life. And when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, He saved you, He set you free. The chains were gone. He says you are in peril to those things. The Bible says that we are in, in danger of spending eternity separated from God, a very, very dangerous thing, a very perilous situation. And so we're saved. We're taken away from this. Now this word, are you saved? Like when we say, are you saved? Are you saved? What we really mean in this church, just so you're very clear, we mean, has there been a moment in your life where you realized? was there a moment that you confessed, a point that you decided that you were going to turn from the way you lived and there was like a marking moment where you confessed that you realized you're a sinner, that you need Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, that you're sorry for what he did, and now you're gonna live for him for the rest of your life. We ask, are you saved? Do you have a moment, a point in time where that revelation came to you? Maybe you raised a hand. Maybe you prayed it in in your home. Maybe a friend prayed it with you in a restaurant or whatever, but there's a moment that you realized you were headed the wrong way and you needed to be saved. Now, this word carries with it that same meaning that there's a moment, that there's a moment where that grace came into your life, salvation, but this word also carries with it that it was a moment, but it's an ongoing thing that God's doing in you. It was a moment, but your salvation is just as real today and God's working it in you right now and he's still giving you grace because you're not that good and he's giving you grace for tomorrow and for the next day and the next day and this salvation grace comes in there and there's a definite marking moment and then there's this ongoing living in this word which means uh, to be saved. Now, in our English language, we just can't capture it that much but it almost means like be being saved. Like it's, you did it, but you're doing it, and you will do it. And I know that's hard to understand, but it's a good thing that covers us and gives us grace. So it's that, that marking moment where you say, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow God. This is it. I'm following God. I'm saved. Now, in order for us to understand the word saved, what I've done is I've looked up other synonyms that we use in the church. So I'll throw some of these out. Some of these you'll know. Some of you, you won't know these. And uh, I'll give you a couple of these uh, words. Uh, The first one is born again. How many have heard born again here and at our campuses? Raise your hand. Heard born again. And uh, contrary to popular belief, Jimmy Carter did not invent that word. And we're too young of a church to realize that joke, okay? And uh, maybe you're older at the campuses, but... They asked him, are you born again? Were you Christian? He said, I'm born again. I'm born again back in the 70s. Anyways, I'm dating myself. All right. But Jesus came up with the term born again. Yes. Jesus came up with the term born again. I got to tell you, born again has kind of fallen on some hard times right now. Uh, it's not a popular term. It kind of doesn't carry with it the full meaning of what it's all about. But we'll get at what Jesus, uh, the story of where Jesus said it. But let me tell you this. The definition of being born again means have you had a spiritual rebirth in your life? Have you had an experience of conversion? Again, you're going the wrong direction. You're in peril. You're going the wrong way. And all of a sudden you get born again. You you have a moment where you realize you're saved and you're born again. You're new And this conversion moment in a born-again experience carries with it these things. It carries a godly evidence of fruit. What does that mean? It means that you start living like you are born again. You start living like God really has saved you and you're appreciative of it. And you want to worship him and you want to live for him. And so the Bible calls that fruit. It says there's going to be things that happen when you have a conversion, born-again experience, that you start going the other way and fruit starts to come out of your life, okay? It's marked with a turning away from sin with intensity. You're like, well, I don't really mind sin that much. I don't know if you're born again. Because when you're born again and you realize that the grace has been given and where you were headed, and you're kind of like, I'm turning away from this with intensity. I don't want to do the things that break my heavenly Father's heart. And so I'm turning from these things and I'm turning towards the things of God. And it's it's also marked with this obedience and this desire to do the things that God tells you to do. We're born again. Now, one other clarity on born again. Born again is not self-improvement born again is not like a better you it is a new you okay born again and so the story comes from jesus talking to nicodemus nicodemus was a religious ruler a a pharisee the bible says he's good at the law doing all these religious things and he's talking to jesus and he's trying to figure out like how do i get the life that you have how do i get that because you got something different than i have and i've got all these religion and rules and things but you've got something that i need and jesus said you must be born again you got to be born in the spirit. you got to have a moment where you realize it's not about rules, regulations, all this. You've got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, wait, 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 hold on. How do you get back in your mother's womb to get born? I can't do that. And he's kind of confused about it. He's like, no, no, no. This is a spiritual birth. This is a spiritual birth that's going to happen in you. You're going to have a conversion moment. And in you, you're going to come alive to the things of God. And you're going to say, I'm dying to the old things. And I'm alive to the new things. I hope this is making sense to you. Because Second Corinthians 5.17 says this. It says it's, that we're not improving ourselves. We're becoming new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Okay, so being born again means you're having, it's a new you. There's a conversion moment. There's an experience with God where you receive this forgiveness, this grace. And you could say saved, you could say born again. But all these are helping us to understand what's going on at our church, in our lives spiritually, and what's going on. Another term, um, and I guess I put two terms that, Don't really go very favorably today together, but uh, it just for me. I don't know this term is Christian, okay? Christian, and for me, I wish there was a new word we could use. Um, Not that I'm opposed to Christian, and and the history of Christian you'll find out in just a minute is pretty amazing. But how many know? Like you ask somebody, "Are you a Christian?" Yeah, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an American, right? You know, I'm Christian. I went to church, you know, once. You know, of course I'm a Christian. My parents like, took me to church and brought me in a spring of water. I, I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. And for a lot of people, it just means my parents believe this, or it means I'm an American, or it means I'm not a Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist. You know what I mean? Just kind of like, of course I'm a Christian. I'm not any of those ones. Of course, by default, I'm a Christian, you know? And, and so with me, this one is kind of taking on a, a different term. I was talking to one of our deacons, and he said, I feel like asking some people, like, are you a Christian Christian or just a Christian? And I was like, that's really confusing. Don't do that. Don't do that. But you get the point. He oh, of course I'm a Christian. And what we talk about here at River Valley Church is there's a lot of people that are loosely affiliated with Christ but they don't have an authentic, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people in our culture that are like Nicodemus, like, I'm doing the rules, I got the thing, I went, I did, I got, but I don't have that. What do I need? And so, but Christian is another term that helps us when they say, you've become a Christian. What does that mean? It means you've decided to turn from your sin, and follow Jesus. And I just, I just thought of that. Have you noticed that every time I'm pointing bad, it's like this side and good is all. Are you just glad that you're on that side, whether you're on video or church? Like that side's always good. Somebody's going to move. But anyways, uh, you turn from the bad and you follow Christ. And you're saying, I am turning from my sins and I'm going to follow Jesus. Now the term Christian was used three times in the New Testament. It was first used in Antioch. And it said, these people are Christians. These people are Christians. What do they mean by that? They meant they were like little Christs. It meant like they were adherents or followers of Jesus. It meant that they were a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it was a label that they would wear. Now, it's very common in their culture to give people these labels. If you were loyal to Herod, you were a Herodian, all right? If you were loyal to Caesar, you were a Caesarian. And if you were loyal to Christ, yeah, some of you like, bad memories. But anyways, uh, if you you were loyal to Christ, then you'd be a Christian, okay? Now, here's what they would do. In their culture, and this is why I think we should wear the name Christian with more pride and, and honor, because originally... To be labeled a Christian meant that you would be rejected and maybe killed. And people, if they stood up and said, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that meant that they could be killed, labeled for sure. And the Roman authorities, once a year, would make people come in and say, Caesar is Lord. And if they didn't say that, they'd say, Jesus is Lord. They'd either be labeled a Christian and, and beaten or, worse, killed. And so they'd say, no, I'm a Christian. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not following Caesar, I'm a Christian. That's who I am. Or they'd make them, uh, they'd draw the name Jesus Christ down on the ground. And they'd say, come on in, this is your yearly test. Spit on the name of Jesus Christ. And they'd say, no, I'm a Christian. Okay? So when I think of what they went through to be labeled a Christian, I ought to wear that a little stronger. I ought to wear that with a little more authority, a little more conviction that I need to stand up for Jesus Christ. And people are like, are you a Christian? Well, you know, go to church. No, don't you back down. You either are or you aren't. And we better be more bold. I mean, if they had to do that for sake of losing their life, why can't we be more bold? Now, another term, all right? Here's one that I love, all right? Redeemed. I love the term redeemed. There's even the song. I mean, how many know the song? Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. There's another old one, all right? But Redeemed, all right? It's a great song. And I love when we sing, redeemed, redeemed. I mean, there's just something powerful about singing that word when you know what it really means. And Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So we were cursed under the law. Remember, we were in peril. We're going to hell. We're under curse under the law. And the Bible says that He redeemed us. Not only did He save us, but this connotation of what's going on in our lives is He paid the price for us. You were a hostage. We were all hostages of the devil. Every one of us was a hostage. You may not think that you were, but you were all hostages. I was, you were, we all were. And Jesus came and redeemed us. He paid the price for us to be set free. Now the thing that was so cool, the people in the Bible days, when they would hear this, they understood this. Because when they would fight a war, they would take people and the poor people, they would just make them slaves. But the people that had value, they would hold them hostages and they'd make someone pay for them to get the person back because they'd say we know you value them and we're going to hold them hostage till you redeem them and what this scripture says is every one of us is valuable every one of us is valuable and christ redeemed us he paid so that we could be set free from the enemy in the direction we were going and he said i have paid the price i have redeemed you and now you're mine so when you think about this word, redeemed, and you see this, that he redeemed us from the curse of the law, man, again, that ought to just be so exciting. And when they would redeem, things, this is really, uh, this, I'm getting excited. All right, <laughs> this, when they would redeem slaves, they would bring them to the temple, and they would say, this slave has been redeemed. Somebody bought them. Somebody paid the price for their freedom. And they would write their name on the wall, and they would say, redeemed. I love what Isaiah 49, 16 says, that God says, I have engraved your name on the palm of my hand. And if anybody's wondering if you're redeemed, just say, just look at God's hand, because my name is there. I love that. I love that we've been redeemed. He paid the price and he didn't write it on a wall. He wrote it on his hand and he said, Redeemed, redeemed. Yeah, your name's right there. I just getting a little excited about it. I'll settle down. (sighs) I love this. We are saved. We are born again, we are Christian, we are redeemed. I love this one, child of God, child of God. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Romans 8.16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, and heirs of God, we're co-heirs with Christ. And this says, you're a child of God. Guess what? He has relationship with you. He has relationship with you. I don't know about you, but the way I have relationship with my kids is I want to hug them. I want to talk to them. I want to be around them. I want them to be around me. And as they're getting older and gaining their independence, I just am saddened because I know they're, you know, going to move out and just those things. But then part of me gets happy about that. But anyways, you know, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm in relationship with them. I'm in relationship. And this says, remember, enemies, all this, we needed grace. And God says, now you're in relationship And being a child of God says relationship. And when it says that you're a son or daughter of God, you know what that is? Legal standing. And that means, guess what? You're getting an inheritance. And that means God's got something for you. And he's going to give it to you. And he's got blessings for you. And you're his child. And there's something coming. That is an amazing thing. Now, some of you may say, Pastor Rob, I don't feel like a child of God. I don't feel like a child of God. I don't feel that. And I would ask you, have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Have you become saved? Have you become born again? Because when that happens, you will feel like a child of God. You will feel that. You will be in relationship with your heavenly Father. Another term, we say we're at peace with God. We're at peace with God. So we got all these terms, at peace with God. Before we were saved, God was justly angry at us. The Bible says that we are his enemies. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, You used to be far from God. Your thoughts made you his enemies, and you did evil things. But his son became a human and died, so God made peace with you, and now he lets you stand in his presence as people who are holy and faultless and innocent. And we are at peace with God because of what he did. And I'm telling you what, that's one of those things that I, I, I don't even know how to explain to people. They're like, how do you know that you know? I said, I have this peace of God that I'm right, that I've asked him to forgive me of my sins, and I've said I'm sorry, and I'm living for him, and I have a peace that floods my heart. I have a peace with God. I understand this, and I know that he's not angry with any, me anymore. And it's not because I'm a really great guy. It's because he gave me grace, and he really meant it. He didn't say, well, I'll give you grace, but I'm still watching. <laughs> he gave me grace, and I have peace with God. Last one. Forgiven. I love that word. Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. You know what this means? It means pardoned. It means you did all sorts of bad crimes. You know how when a president gets done at the end of their term and then they do all those pardons for all the people that did all the shady deals but gave all the campaign money to them? You know how that works, right? You know, and they do all that and they pardon all these people that we know shouldn't get pardoned. You know, Well, the Bible says we have been forgiven and pardoned and God says nothing. You didn't do anything. It looks as if nothing was there because I tore up your record. It's over, done, forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, you're forgiven. I don't hold it against you anymore. I've actually dropped the charges. There's no loss going on anymore i want to be in relationship with you you're forgiven and i love you that's an amazing thing romans 4 7 8 says this oh what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sins are put out of sight yes what joy for those whose record the lord has cleared of sin if you've asked jesus to forgive you of your sins you've got a clean record you've got a clean record and how many know a clean record is worth something It means you're in, you're forgiven. God has given you what only He can give you. So let me read this one more time Ephesians 2 8 and 9, but I'm going to add all these words in it. For by grace you have been saved, you've been born again, you've become a Christian, you've been redeemed, you've become a child of God. You've been made at peace with God and forgiven. Man, that is an amazing thing. That is an amazing, amazing thing. When you hear that and when you understand that, for by grace are you saved. We are saved because God's grace, but we kid all those things. And he loves us so much. And maybe as I was preaching, you didn't know. what. Do I, I, I don't feel like I have this. I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity with just a closing moment. And at all of our campuses, we'll give an opportunity in just a moment to give your life to Jesus. But I feel very clear to say this. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, be very clear on this, you only need to do it one time. You only need to do it one time. People are like, you know, like, well, I did it last week, but it feels so good again this week. This sounds pretty convincing. I'd like to do it again. One time. You just need to do it one time. That's okay. You're going to understand it more. Today was a greater revelation maybe for some of you. But if you prayed that prayer last week, you're good. You're good. But for those that have never prayed that prayer, we want to give an opportunity right now for you to pray that prayer, give your life to Jesus Christ, and be forgiven. So here it is. If you don't know the peace, if you don't know the forgiveness, if you don't feel born again, if you don't feel like you're a child of God, this is your opportunity. I want to ask you if you're ready to do it, Would you bow your heads with me right now and close your eyes? And if that's you, you're saying, Pastor Rob, include me in the closing prayer. I'm in. I want this. I'm ready. I get it. I understand it. If that's you and you want to be included in the closing prayer, I want you to raise your hand and look up at me and I'll include you in the closing prayer. This is your moment. You're here. It's clear to you and you're ready. All across this place, if that's you, raise your hand and say, I'm in. This is my moment. I needed to hear that and that's exactly what I needed. Is there anyone here that says, that's me. I'm here. I'm ready. This is my moment. I'm ready. I believe it. I receive it. I'm there. This is my moment. Thank you, Lord. We'll wait. We'll wait. If you're here, we don't know the state of the people that are here, but we want to give an opportunity for this response to be given, for you to have an opportunity. Thank you, Lord. Is your hand up? Your hand up because I'll acknowledge that. Kids count too. I want to come and do agreement with you. Yep. Are there others? Are there others? You'd say, I want in. All right, let me pray and let me say this. I feel just led as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I thank God for the one hand that went up. And I'm going to ask that you'd make your way to a prayer team member if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today. That you'd make your way at the end of this service to a prayer team member and pray, but I want all of us here to be praying right now that we would have more people coming to church that need to know this message, that we would be realizing we want to save people from peril, and we need a greater passion to bring people into hearing this message. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for the one that raised her hand, and I pray she'd make her way up here in just a moment to pray with a prayer team member. I pray that the prayer team members would be ready to pray with anyone that wants to give their life to Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would all have a greater passion and a greater understanding because we know what it means to be saved. We can't keep it quiet. We've got to bring people with us to church. We've got to be involved in the lives of those that don't know you. We've got to have that passion pouring out of us that we want to bring people into an authentic, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm praying for a great, response in all of our campuses and all of our future services. We're coming to agreement right now and we're praying that they would be filled with people that need to know you. And that we'd always give this call, always give this response, and always help people to move from being lost to being found to being saved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we stand here?